Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey, we are David and Tracy Sellers. And like you, we've made vows to keep. Recently I met a man and his opening sentence to me was, this is a miserable existence. This is a miserable existence. I can't make a difference no matter what I do. I just want to know why. And what do I do now? And I think what this man was really asking is, why am I here? There's a desperation that comes with living a meaningless life. We either avoid the question or some of us answer the question. And I don't think there's a whole lot in between. Are you an avoider or a seeker? Well, I've certainly done both. Let's talk about avoidance first. This seems like the easiest answer and we can go into this numb mode for long periods of time. We're on autopilot. We're just coasting along. When we have no purpose, or maybe we've just lost sight of our purpose, the easiest thing to do is to distract ourselves with things that have no ultimate meaning, and then we finally end up destroying ourselves and our relationships. So here's the sequence. It's desperation, it's distraction, and finally it's destruction. And these are not uncommon problems. We ignore them, until we simply can't. And we meet with couples all the time where one or both of them has accepted that this is just how life is. This is just how marriage is. They say to themselves, I can't change it even if I wanted to. This is my lot in life. And being on autopilot eventually lands them in the hot seat to save their marriage. Or maybe you've tried doing nothing and then something lights a fire under you and you start seeking We go for the Paul approach. You know, that guy in the Bible who had all the boxes checked, yet he really wasn't content. We do the same thing. We've got the wife, the husband, the degree, the job, the 2.5 kids. We wear the coach's hat, the chef's hat, the decorator's hat, the elder at church. We're the worship leader. We've got the white house on the hill with the picket fence going all the way around it. We've got it all. And if that's you, and you're still coming up short at the end of the day, you're really asking the same question. Why am I here? And what is this all for? What do I do differently to get a different result? David and I have a young teenager in our life. Let's call him Doug. And he's a good kid, but he and his peers, they are all seeking someone to worship. Whether it's singers or movie stars or YouTube influencers, that's where their eyes are. And why does this happen? God tells us plainly in his word why. Because He made us to be worshipers. Why isn't this fulfilling? Why doesn't this actually work? Well, because there's no relationship. This is a one-way thing. You are watching a singer. You're watching a movie. You're watching someone on YouTube. There's no investment. There's no giving of yourself. And God has made us for real relationships. And the result is that our teenagers in our lives, they're asking the same thing. Why am I here? If you study the people in the Bible that God gives us as examples, yep, you guessed it. They're asking the age-old question that we are. Why are we here? And what is my marriage really for? Because the two, if you're married, are quite connected. To start to answer that question, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 27. 
It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This verse is in the very first chapter of the Bible, laying out the foundation for the rest of the book and for our lives. And we can't miss this truth. God made us to reflect his nature. When it says that we're made in his image, we're not necessarily talking about purely a physical likeness here. We're to be a mirror, a representation of who he is for the sole purpose of worshiping him and bringing glory to him as we reflect his nature. That's exactly what it's talking about when it says that we are made in his image. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's crazy because what we see in marriage is that these guiding principles are in fact lived out. We are to love God with everything we have, and then we're to love our neighbor. And my closest neighbor, Tracy, is you. God had marriage in mind when he made man and woman. God knew our needs when he gave us his word, and he wanted our best when he asked us to obey him. That's the good news for those of us who may feel like giving up. There is a reason. There is a purpose. It's not just to exist. God has your marriage in mind with a purpose. I'll say it again because it's so essential to how we're going to live our lives. God made us to be in relationship with him and with others. And to bring him glory, we're to reflect his nature to this world. That's so awesome. But it really begs the question, what is God's nature? If we're to reflect something, we got to know what it is that we're reflecting. A real quick summary, David, is found in 1 John 4, 8. It's only three words. God is love. That's the short answer. Very short. And it's a good one. But if you want to go for the long one, read through the Bible. And I'm actually not kidding when I say this. Do it. When was the last time you guys read through the Bible? You're going to see an overarching theme of love played out in God's mercy. We see that in sending his son to take on our punishment. We see that in God's grace. He's got tremendous blessings and promises that he gives all throughout his word. God is a tremendous giver. That's all he does. He gives gives and gives some more. But it's out of his love for us that he gives even when we don't acknowledge his gifts, even when we don't deserve his gifts. We're going to take a look at a short story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, where Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. And it starts out like this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going to a village, Ten men who had leprosy met him. Can you picture this scene? They approach him at a distance and call out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Basically, as soon as they obeyed, God healed them. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. And that was someone who normally didn't mix with Jews. So that was a really bold move on his part. The story finishes up this way. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus gives these lepers what they need most. Generously and without delay. 
and he even gave when he knew full well that the others wouldn't even come back to say thank you. What has he given you? Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is this visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Verse 16 says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 8, 6 reflects these same thoughts. There is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Your very life, my life, your husband's life, your wife's life is a gift that God gave by breathing his life into us when he formed us with his own hands. I don't know if you know this or not, but everything else in all creation, God spoke into existence, but us, he made with his hands and he breathed his very life into us. And God has recorded every day of our lives. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's what Psalm 139.16 says. And what all this means is that my time is his. It is a gift from him to me. So God created me to work. And this might come as a surprise to some, but work is not necessarily just a result of sin. God himself worked before sin when he created us. Adam and Eve worked before sin made work harder. They worked the ground. They managed the earth just as God had commanded them to do. Everything you own is possible because God gives you the ability to work. That means your sustenance comes from God. Your money comes from God. And you're saying, David, of course, I know this. But do you live this way? Is there a value tied to these things that you've attached to your own purpose? We're kind of going down through this list here of things that God has given us, just like he gave to that leper that needed him. And one of the great things, David, I think that he gave us is things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to enjoy his creation. And we witness this in Genesis, both before and even after the fall. And that means God himself gives us the desires of our heart. Joy itself is from God. And that couldn't be more true than when we examine how God created you for relationship. That means that all of your relationships are a gift from God. They're to be treated as treasures that you're stewarding for the Lord. Between you and your wife, maybe where it feels unsuccessful, feels unfulfilling, He's actually given us instructions so that we can move on toward success. We're to encourage, we're to build up, we're to confront in love, we're to call out sin, we're to help them where they fall, to bear their burdens, to be kind and tenderhearted, we're to forgive, we're to give them their preference. And we can do all that because he's given us his word to live by. That is such a gift because when we do live by what he says, we get blessings galore. And let me tell you between David and I, that makes it rock, even if the other person never reciprocates. And really, it's not even just those interrelational things that happen on a daily basis between you and your spouse. Think about this. How has God gifted you like spiritual gifts? They're listed in God's word in about three different passages. You can look them up, but I would challenge you to think about it and pray about it. God, how have you gifted me? Hospitality, generosity, the gift of helping or discernment, these were given to be given away. 
If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. And finally, God created you to be in relationship with him. We can know this because he gave us the gospel. And now it's our turn to give that gospel away, not just in telling people about Jesus, but by doing what he did, by laying down our lives for each other. Here's the deal. We are great takers, filling ourselves up so full that we're actually like stuffed to the point of being uncomfortable. When I belly up to the buffet, my eyes are usually bigger than my stomach. David, when our kids were little, we would always walk them through the picnic line. You take one, I take the other. <laughs> Hopefully grandma would take the third. Yes. Because if we told our daughter when she was five years old, yeah, go on up ahead and make your own plate at a potluck. Well, you better believe that she's going to come back with about four cookies, several brownies, a buttered roll or two, and a piece of pie for dessert. Yeah, that's only going to feel good for like three minutes. The lepers that we read about in Luke 17, nine of them took, and one of them comes to give back. That one guy was humble. He was the spiritually smartest dude in that group, enough to realize, hey, Jesus, you didn't owe this healing to me. This is a gift, and I want to acknowledge that. So he falls on his face at Jesus' feet. He takes a position of worship. Like the angels in Revelation 5, he was saying, Lord, you are worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And you can bet that that guy's life and his eternity looked different from the other nine friends of his. Why was that guy created? Why was he here? Was it to tell you and I thousands of years later to reflect God's nature To praise God for his goodness? I think yes. The point is that from Genesis all the way through the New Testament, you can know exactly why you're here. You can know exactly why your marriage is here. Together, you're to reflect God's nature. You're to show his nature not only inside your home, but outside your home. Everything you've got is directly from his hand. You, my friend, were made to give. You were made to give it away. Like David said, our marriage is no exception. Your marriage was made to give away. In fact, it's the perfect place to live out that purpose. Your marriage is made to reflect God's nature. And if his nature is to give, well, it's time to go and live and love like God did. And I mean, starting today. That's a game changer for the man who's throwing up his hands and asking, what's the point? This should be the turning point for the teenager who's living for the next self-gratifying moment. And for the mom who doesn't think she can take one more day or the husband who is just sick and tired of trying everything under the sun to fill him up, it's time to go back to the beginning, to the moment we were created and reset our outlook of why we're here. You were made to give away everything that God has given you. You and your marriage were made to give away the gospel to each other, to bystanders, to your family, to your friends. You were made to give away the love of God within your marriage and to everyone God has put in your life. From the person at church you'd rather avoid, to the grocery store clerk, to the people who sleep in the room next to yours. When we choose an act of love that will benefit someone else, it's a resurrection moment. I think this one is probably the biggest, David. We were made to give away our time and our energy. Oh, ouch. (laughs) This one brings it down to the level that I feel it, because 
I consider my time and my energy probably my two most precious resources, and I tend to hang on to them pretty tightly. But it's interesting how God's economy works. If I spend all of my time giving away what I've been given, I never come up empty-handed. God always fills in the gaps and gives me more. That's how he works. I actually dare you to try it and see what happens. Yeah, use up all of your energy loving and serving. And guess what? You're going to be the most satisfied person on the planet. Don't save any of it for the rainy day. Be the man who runs back to Jesus to worship because your life will shout those praises to God. He has given me so much and he wants to give to you through me, no matter the cost. Let's bring this down even a little more practically here. There are times when you know that something would be really special for your husband and you wait until they deserve it. When it comes to intimacy, you know how to charm, but we're not motivated to give our best sometimes. It's not about the gift at that juncture. It's about the cost to us. My life was made to worship God, to serve God by serving, by serving my kids, by serving hurting marriages. And when I'm not doing those things, my life can feel pretty pointless. And I've been there wondering, why should I even get up today? And I can pinpoint exactly when that happens. It's when I put my hope in something other than God. That's when I end up unfulfilled. That's the person who's chasing after the next advancement in their career. That's me when I think that food will cure the boredom. That's my friend when she thinks the only thing she needs is a week-long break from the kids. And that's us when we believe that sin is the answer. And that's us when we put our hope or our trust in something, absolutely anything, that we think will deliver. When we worship God, as we reflect his nature, we're compelled to be a vessel that is being poured out in relationships. We are to be the person delivering a plate full of Jesus's love. We shouldn't hoard it all. So we get so full that we're miserable. You've been given the whole dessert table. I mean, go and run and grab a handful of brownies and give them away because God is going to give you a feast in return. David has this awesome habit of going out of his way to love me in ways that are meaningful to me. And we were in a bit of a rut a few years ago and he saw that and he wanted to shake things up. So he hands me the slip of paper that basically says, we're going to go have some fun. And here's what the paper said. Adventure without risk is Disneyland. I found this in my Bible this week. (laughs) Meaning, I know you're looking to push past the walls of what's normal for us. So let's go. We went on an out of town adventure and it was exactly what we both needed. It took planning on his part. Sacrifice really in both time and money. But wow, was it worth it. God's adventure for us, though, it's not a once in a while thing to get out of the box for a few minutes. It's our whole life long. Loving like he loves. Giving because he gave. Tons of adventure is in store. Yes, but that's not how we live. At least it's not how I live most of the time. I'll admit it. I am a counter. I count how much it's going to cost to love, to serve, to give. And I box myself in all the time by walls of duty and obligation instead of breaking free into God's great big world of this unbounded freedom. Walls of self-worship instead of living a life of worship to my God. The boundaries a lot of times are boundaries of selfishness and they keep my head pressed down so hard I can't actually see how God has perfectly positioned me all throughout the day to be his face and voice to someone who's hurting or needs discipleship. And like David said earlier, that starts right within my own home. Adventure without risk is Disneyland. And that's what we settle for. 
when we don't live with a knowledge of why God made us, why he made our marriage. There's a high ticket price to enter selfish land. After your hundredth time in line for the roller coaster, it's a foregone conclusion, and you know what the outcome feels like. A theme park is a place that asks a lot from you while promising the cost of admission will be worth it. There's an excitement as you climb to the top of the first free fall hill and the expected loops that make your stomach do flip flops. Your emotions actually can't help but be taken for a ride. But when that cart comes cruising to a stop and you unbuckle and your feet hit the ground of reality, boring, boring. you get the same feeling when you self-gratify with things or achievements. You say to yourself, well, that wasn't fun enough, so let's go get some cotton candy or try that new 100-foot free fall thing on the other side of the park. Let's end this relationship and I'll go start a new one. Let's buy a new car or a house or new furniture or get a different job. That ought to give me purpose for a while. Or you know what? I'm kind of tired, so I'm just going to sit on the bench and watch you try to self-gratify while I take a break from all these pleasures that are wearing me out. There are lots of distractions, and sure, some of them are fun, but we weren't made to live inside a theme park with walls and gates and rent-a-cops. Adventure awaits on this roller coaster that God's got us on as it travels the whole world. There's ever-fulfilling thrills where there are no boundaries, only sweet fulfillment as we take risks for God's glory. Survival mode, clockwork, brings no glory to God. I think you've experienced that. I know I definitely have. What do you think puts God on display in your marriage? Has your complacency for a passion and a love for each other stopped that? Too many couples find themselves in this position where they're just tolerating each other. But it says nothing about a God who's passionate about you. It says everything about what the world would expect. They're basically believing Satan's lies. That God is either withholding something from you or is just in love with you and tolerating your sin. Earlier, we were talking about how we were made in the image of God, and we are to reflect his nature. Well, if you turn to Isaiah 61, wow, what a passage that shows us the nature of God and what we can do right here on earth to reflect that. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is talking about Jesus because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, guess what? You and I can do the same thing. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Is your spouse brokenhearted today? He has sent you to bind them up, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Is your spouse in sin? They don't have to be. They can be free to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We can do that when we respond in a godly way. And here's what it says. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, not for their own sake, but for the display of his splendor. Another version says, for his glory. I'm trying to grab glory and honor and praise and blessing and riches and wisdom. My agenda has been me. When I make my agenda him and his glory, I'm so satisfied and my life reflects it. My husband and I, we're both blessed when I live to be a blessing. Do you have enough of God in your life that you've got something to pour out? Or do you need to start by seeking the Savior. Let's get real practical. How do we carry this out on a Tuesday? Men, we're called to die to ourselves. It means to give yourself away. It means you'd put other people's agenda ahead of yours. Lord, help us to reflect you. Help us to act like you on this earth. And really what it boils down to 
is agenda. What's my agenda? Well, we can know that so clearly. God has given us one agenda, one job. And I hope you can say it with me now. It is to reflect his nature. It's to act like him, to love like him, to serve like him. Why? Because to Jesus belongs everything that I'm trying to grab for myself. We'll see you right here next week, same time, same place. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.